Good afternoon. It is Thursday, right? It is Thursday. It doesn't feel like Thursday. I don't know what day it feels like, but it does not feel like Thursday. So that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. That means tomorrow's Friday. Yeah, it's right, man. We're not on the patio tomorrow? Patio Palooza at Santa Lucia Pizza has come to an end. (laughs) Hal Anderson got the anchor leg. Oh, man. I guess we'll just have to order pizza and bring in a few beverages into the studio ourselves tomorrow. (laughs) Have our own Studio Palooza tomorrow (laughs) afternoon. What do you think? It was, you know what, hey, it was a fantastic run for the last few weeks at Santa Lucia Pizza. St. Mary's Road, the rooftop patio, one of the best patios, if not the best in the city. And I'm honestly not just saying that uh, because we were there when I I had not been up there before and when we first got up there I thought this is where we get to do our show this is great the retractable roof right basically weatherproof and it got tested a couple of times over the summer so Greg and his entire staff over there just uh, one last shout out to them hopefully we'll be back uh, next summer for Patio Palooza and we still have some more I think some more gift certificates to give away uh, thanks for everyone who went online and entered to win those we had unprecedented numbers of people who were looking for $100 Santa Lucia gift certificates I'll go check with promotions and find out how many of those we have left to give away away because I like giving stuff away and we'll do that later on this afternoon as well. Yeah, we do have more tickets to give away for Arrival from Sweden. WSO, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra with Arrival from Sweden, the music of ABBA. We'll do that after 3 o'clock sometime. In the meantime, Greg, we got to talk about... Uh the crop of a lifetime. Well, I, I spent a lot of time in Minidosa, a lot of time in, in Boys of Ain, and, and essentially grew up in Brandon four years, the most formative years of my life. And the conversation in those parts of the world, uh, if you're not talking about hockey or football, you're talking about the weather, and the weather ties directly to how crops are going to be. And this time of the year, those crops are starting to come off the field. And a headline in the Winnipeg Free Press, Free Press rather, pardon me, my good friend Martin Cash, I want to give him a shout out. Here's the headline from his story today. It's a crop of a lifetime. So we thought, you know what? We need to have a discussion about this and and talk about how this affects our economy in a greater fashion as well. And we are joined by Dan Major, who is president of Keystone Agricultural Producers of Manitoba. Dan, where have we reached you, by the way? Ah, sitting outside the airport in Brandon, Manitoba. You're in Brandon right now, in the at, outside the airport. Yeah, my wife just flew in from Calgary. She was visiting some family. So. But actually, we just farm uh, southeast of uh, Brandon near Justice Forest area. It's a beautiful part of Manitoba. And uh, according to all reports, Dan, uh, things are as good as they've ever been out in the fields. I know I'm a kind of a superstitious guy as well. I don't lock, like to talk about things until it's a quote-unquote done deal. You're getting uh, how much percentage of your uh, crop would you estimate you have off right now? You'd be around that 30, 30 to forty percent, and in there. and it's looking pretty good. Yeah, so we're we're uh, working on the early season crops right now. So the peas, red spring wheat, the main crop that's coming in right now. A little bit of canola just starting. That'll be the next crop that we'll start taking off right across Manitoba. Uh, I understand there's some some that is starting to come in already. So. Um, First initial results are showing very good, uh, especially across the southern part of the province. What I can't get over is yields are right across the whole part of the province. Like there's uh, the crops did look good, but uh, as you said, it's not in the bin yet. There's we're at a pretty vulnerable stage right now as far as uh, harvesting. We've we've brought it here to the last 90 days. Everything seemed to be lining up, but we still need to get it 
off the field than in a bin. What, you say that uh, it's a vulnerable spot. What is making it, or what, I guess, what could be making it vulnerable? Well, everything is, uh, we're all in. We've got all our inputs in, and we've watched this crop grow, and we've looked after it, and uh, it's ripe. It's basically ready to be harvested. And so it, the plants get brittle. They start breaking down. Like, if the weather doesn't cooperate here in the next couple of weeks, say if it, it did go wet and just started raining, uh, all that good, potentially good, fantastic crop would be starting to get downgraded. And we start losing A, quality, and probably more than it would start uh, losing its bushel weight as well. So then that would uh, cost them to yield and, and just uh, take away from that potential great crop. And, of course, it was, and forgive the terminology, a perfect storm in the last 11 months or so, right? Because this all really started with a wet fall last year. Yes. Yeah, that's, especially in the western part of the province, we went into this uh, spring here very wet, very uh vulnerable. In fact, uh, Minto, Manitoba, which is just south, uh, just beside Boisevain there, they didn't really get seeding until a long May long, and they were really worried about not getting a crop in. They got it all in by June 1st, which, and then I, from what I'm hearing, I haven't heard many crop reports out of there, but I, I guess the crop was looking very good. We had some timely rains, and we, we've got very heavy soils here in western Manitoba as well, just like in, in the Red River Valley. So it, uh, I think it went into that reserve very well. Uh, we did have a good year, of growing year. Normally, like we're about 50% of uh, moisture too for, for precipitation. Uh, and that's, that's a different animal. Normally we get um, a high fusarium or a lot of disease buildup and we have to uh, spray fungicides for that to protect the crop all during the growing season. This year, it didn't seem there wasn't much disease, and uh, I think that's where the, the yield is potentially coming from now. We had just enough uh, reserves in our soils to make the crop grow, and then uh, the disease didn't come along, so we ended up with a better than uh, average crop, that's for sure. And that lack of disease comes from uh, the fact that it's been a relatively dry summer as opposed to having tons of moisture. Yeah, and it, you know, and normally when we get these, and I will call them heat waves, like the 30-degree days in the summertime, it's, it's not uncommon. You'll see it won't cool off very well at night. It'll be that 18 above, 20 above, and you'll wake up in the morning and go out and you think it's middle, like noon type thing. All this, all during this growing year, I think we only had two nights that we actually stayed around that 18 degrees. Other than that, we're down... 15, 13 degrees every night. So the plants had a chance to recover, which I think was perfect. Like uh, we, uh, I, I haven't seen it line up like this, but uh, I, for a very, very long time, at least in my lifetime. Dan Major is the president of the Keystone Agricultural Producers of Manitoba. And so, Dan, there are three sort of major components to life uh, in agriculture. One, of course, is the crop, but you can have the best crop in the world. If nobody wants to buy it, it's kind of a waste of time. What are prices like? Prices are good, uh, and um, as far as averages, they've really spiked up here. I don't know if you've done any reports on the drought in the United States, especially North Dakota, South Dakota. That really hit the hard red spring wheat crop. So there was a spike in prices here a month ago uh, because of uh, that lack of production, and uh, we've uh, done very well by that in Manitoba here. Uh, the one thing, though, so when you're, we'll talk about wheat right now uh it it is there's two components to it there's a disease and the fusarium type of uh you can run into that so that'll grade number one number two 
there's also the protein content of wheat, and that's why people buy wheat is for the protein. Uh, the pro with the big yields, we're seeing lower than average uh, proteins as well. So there's uh, kind of a double-edged sword. If they don't, uh, if you don't, if you have great great bushels, that's good, good quality. But it still doesn't quite have the good protein. But it's just a different way of marketing it, and that's what the, the challenges are going to be once we get it into the bin. How we uh, uh, start, continue to market it and find that uh, find that buyer that wants that kind of product, I think we'll do very well at the end. But the the markets in general right now, I'd say we're in the top thirty percent probably of, of the general marketing uh, in in recent history. Anyways, so last year, and Greg Greg alluded to this already. Last fall, we just got drenched. It was a soaking wet fall. Uh, but then this year has been relatively dry. So I'm wondering how those two factors, a wet fall combined with a relatively dry season this year, how did those combine to help the crops? Yeah, well, and it was it. That's a, a good question. Because what happens in the spring, so we got on the soil, or got on the land, and we, we put our crops in the right time. But you want to a couple of weeks there for the, the seeds. You want enough moisture for everything to germinate, but you want the roots to go down. You don't want a bunch of surface water or surface roots. So if it does do a bunch of raining air, uh, precipitation in, say, the end of May, beginning of June, you'll get a very shallow-rooted crop. And then if it turns a tap off, you'll, you'll, that'll cost you. What happened this year was we got a nice little gentle rain. We got everything germinated, and then the roots were forced to go down into that subsoil moisture. And then we just got some nice timely rain. So uh, it really, that's ideally, if you want something to grow in the prairies, that's the best way to grow it. So it, that's the way it, it worked for us this year. And then we, and later on in the season, it, it really did uh, pay off as far as uh, the top and, and, and no disease pressure. Dan, the only crop that, yeah. Sorry, sorry Dan, just guess, we we got to we got to we got to let you go here because we have another guest on standby. This is great stuff, but the last thing, the last component of this, I wanted to talk to you about, and maybe you can give us like a sixty second on this last year transportation and getting uh, those those grains and and other products to market was an issue. Is that going to be an issue again this summer, as far as you know? Uh, everything's moving very well. We're around that eighty ninety percent of movement right now. Uh, uh, one railway was last winter was not around around 30 40 percent but all indications are the system's moving very well right now can we keep in touch with you dan this is great stuff man anytime give me a call all right dan major president of keystone agricultural producers of manitoba fingers crossed uh, or greg uh, let me put on your rally cap so to speak <laughs> we know we don't want to say it before the hay is in the barn so to speak but or, uh, it's or, looking or the, like or the, or the crop is in the bin i wrote that one down i'm putting that one on the list it's not in the bin yet but it's looking like it could be the crop of a lifetime 116 on 680 cjob after we take a look at the weather we're going to talk about the situation in northern manitoba regarding the the wildfire evacuations and uh, an angle that you may not have thought of because I didn't think of it, but it was brought to our attention. What about all the animals that are not being evacuated? They're having to leave them behind. So we'll speak with the Norway House Animal Rescue after your forecast.
which is up next. So, Brett, we've been uh, obviously monitoring things in Houston, Texas. Uh, uh, all the news stations are inundating us with uh, information, pictures, visuals uh, from uh, the leftovers from Hurricane uh, Harvey down in the southern United States. But starting, I guess it was yesterday, evacuation starting to take place in northern Manitoba because of wildfires, the almost exact opposite situation in our province. 3,700 people being moved either from one First Nation to another or here to the city of Winnipeg, a massive undertaking. Uh, but Brett, as we've been mentioning in the build-up to this conversation, there are uh, some living things that aren't necessarily accounted for in this evacuation. Yeah, and given how much I uh, have an affinity for pets, I'm uh, well, almost ashamed of myself that I didn't even think about this, but someone brought it to our attention. Her name is Deb Van de Kirkhove, and she is director of Norway House Animal Rescue. She joins us now live on 680 CJOB. And Deb, I understand that people who are being evacuated from the north are not allowed to, they can't take their animals with them. They've got to leave them behind. That's correct. Yeah, they're not allowed to take their animals, mostly because of the uh, the size of the airplane. A lot of the airplanes that are going into uh, the, these remote communities uh, are, only have seven seats. So uh, you have to focus on human life first, and that's the best they can do. And I guess to a certain point, that that's understandable. But what's the expectation then? Is just to leave these animals to fend for themselves? What are what are residents being told? I don't know what they're being told, but I can tell you what's going on. Uh, the residents are told to put their animals, uh, to leave their animals behind. Um, some some people, what they've been doing is putting some food out uh, for their animal and saying a little prayer and hoping that they're still going to be alive when they get back. And that's the best that they can do because they uh, have not been provided with any information as to whether or not there would be any support for their pets that they have to leave behind. And for a lot of these family members, they're not just pets these are uh, they are family members themselves and to have to leave your family member behind is very traumatizing for these families now i understand deb that uh, you and your group the norway house animal rescue has been trying to get food up or has sent food up can you uh, clarify that point sure uh, we work with the uh, we work with red cross and we um, volunteer to help with any evacuations whether it's fire or flood for northern Manitoba, and Winnipeg Humane Society uh, does the southern part of Manitoba. So we're contacted by Red Cross when there's going to be an evacuation put in place. The issues that we um, are having right now is not only being able to get the food up, but bringing animals back that require any veterinar- veterinarian or medical care. They, they can't come back. Um, there's no way to bring them back. So it's uh, so. What we're doing right now is we're trying to get as much food together as possible um, to put on to sustainable management plane in Lac du Bonny for a popular river. And then we were just given notification through Red Cross that uh, that we will be allowed to also start loading food onto the Hercules planes that are going up to help evacuate people up in St. Teresa Point and Wasagami area, Garden Hill. So that's what we're working on right now, just trying to focus on getting as much food up as possible. So is it fair to say since uh, you first spoke to Brett about an hour and a half ago, things have already progressed? Things have progressed. Yes, they have. Uh, The issues that we're having right now is up in... The issues that we're having in Manitoba alone is that there is no plan in place when it comes to pets. Um, 
There's no infrastructure in place when it comes to the animals, and it's very frustrating for animal groups. There are groups out there that do work with people, and we focus on animals. It's very frustrating for us when we know that there's animals that are starving and they're going to die. There's puppies up there that are alone. There's animals in houses that are locked in without any food or water. It's very frustrating for groups like us when we see that animals have to be left behind and we are not a part of any team that goes up to help with the fires or to pull out people. And that's a part of a Manitoba issue. They don't consider animals when it comes to evacuation. And that needs to change, and it needs to change now. We have about 60 seconds left, Deb, but have you spoken with the province at all, or have you been able to get in touch with them? I haven't spoken to the province directly, uh, but we have been working with Red Cross and Sustainable Management to try to... um, Get as, like I said, to get as much food up as possible. We have actually asked if we could evacuate a couple of animals that we know require care, and unfortunately we, we won't be allowed to. But we had hoped after Popular River that we could sit down again and start looking at adding an animal team to all of the teams that are handling any evacuations or emergency situations that come up in Manitoba. So that would be our next step, is to be able to sit down with them and put together a volunteer team that is trained to handle animals to go up with the firefighters and with the Office of the Fire Commissioner and and Sustainable Management to focus and work on the animals that have to be left behind or come up with a better plan where people can actually start bringing their pets with them. Well, you know, we're looking at CNN right now in our studio, uh, Deb, and right now it says right across the bottom in Beaumont, Texas, breaking news, Coast Guard rescues 6,000 plus people and 1,000 plus pets. It's been a very common scene to see pets as part of the family when they're being rescued uh, in Texas. I've noticed that as well, and I also noticed on CNN one of the things that their focus is, uh, their mandate, is children, women, animals, pets. Um, and that's, and that's everybody is put together uh, with the animals, but we have, there's no mandate here for, any, for anyone's pet. All right, Deb Van de Kerkhove, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention because uh, I realize the, the priority has got to be human life, but I, I just can't uh, <clears throat> imagine being in that situation and having to leave a pet behind. So, uh, Deb, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Deb is the director of Norway House Animal Rescue. Global News is up next. You know, some people uh, have lamented the invention of Facebook, what a time waster it can be, and uh, having to interact with people that you didn't even necessarily like in uh, university or high school or <laughs> junior high school for that matter. But uh, for me, it has been a godsend uh, in terms of uh, pursuing stories, interviews for stories, and uh, opportunities to connect with people who were my heroes when I was younger? Ulf Nielsen, former Winnipeg Jet, Dieter Brock of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and this man, James West. You knew him as James Wild West, number 58 of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He was a standout linebacker, uh, part of two Grey Cup championships in our city, including the last one in 1990. And uh, James, you are beloved in this community, and so Facebook has afforded me the opportunity for you and I to connect on a different level. So thanks to Facebook, and thanks to you for taking some time today. Uh, Where are you exactly? Where are we catching up to you today, James? Oh, first of all, thank you for the city of Winnipeg. I love that city. I still bleed blue bomber blue to this day, and it was a pleasure for me being there. Today I'm in Houston, my hometown. I've been in Atlanta for the last 20 years, but I came down to see my grandson play a game on Saturday, and then the storm hit the next day. 
So I've been here ever since, and and what we just doing right now, just hanging out here. So currently, I'm just in Atlanta. I mean, I'm actually in Houston right now, just uh, hip it out. Yeah, you've been uh, out and about though. You you've been doing some uh, special work, haven't you? Absolutely, man. On a, on a part about what I do, um, as what some people call a job, I just call it passion because, you know, a job ain't never work, right? But when you wish passion, passion is like the enemy of fatigue. You'll never get tired of doing it. So even though I'm not in the current city that I actually was called work in, I'm actually in the city right now doing the same things that I actually do in Atlanta. So what do you do in Atlanta, James? Uh, I'm an FCA representative. In Canada, you're probably familiar with AIA, which is uh, Athletes in Action. Yes, sir. I'm with FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I'm responsible uh, for 18 DeKalb County schools. And I'm pretty much just a chaplain for those schools. Not a not a pastor, not a minister, but we do ministries in those schools and try to lift up the spirits and hearts and minds and of those young men and coaches and being able to give them some encouragement and hope. And in the era of my, you know, my testimonies, which, you know, a lot of people don't really know. I never played football until I got to college, and then I got cut, <laughs> you know. And they said, well, how did you wind up doing all this? And it's a story within itself. It's a story within a story. So as far as uh, what your time in Houston over the last few days, what kind of uh, what kind of things have you had to do or have you experienced? Well, we experienced uh, the time of loss and the time of celebration. Uh, the time of celebration is I'm here to be able to be with my family. They're all secure and they're all safe. And then you go, you know, deal with the people who have had some loss. We have people that live, lose their lives here. Uh, some people have their homes destroyed. Uh, tornadoes and hurricanes have affected this area deeply. Uh, we've been able to go out into the community, and that's what we need to do anyway, work in our entire communities. And in my daughter's community, that's what I'm living with right now while I'm here, we went out and reached out to her community to help with clothes and food and shoes and, you know, uh, gas for cars and a place to sleep and a place to lay down. And we've been reaching out to them and helping out and, you know, putting all arms together to make this thing work. You know, almost similar to what we did in football. (laughs) We played football back in the day. We always cared about each other. Even in the midst of this, um, you know, none, no Facebook. You mentioned Facebook. Now it's probably relevant. Back then it wasn't really relevant. We really really had to do our own Facebooking. We actually had our own little network inside that locker room and even outside that locker room. So it's a continuation of what I did then and pretty much carried on to who I am now. Uh, James West joins us from Houston, Texas. Flood ravaged, as you know. We don't need to tell you that. Uh, James West, the former Winnipeg Blue Bomber star. And James, uh, earlier this year, uh, in in the springtime, we we, we uh, recognized 20 years since the flood of the century, as we called it, in 1997 here in Winnipeg. And you may right. re- remember that. Uh, Southern Manitoba cover, covered by what was called the Red Sea at the time. And lots of people lost their livelihoods, lost their homes in, in that disaster. Disaster. So we can relate somewhat, but I think the, the stories that, that stand the test of time are the community and the way we came together as a province. And, and that was really why I wanted to talk to you today, because I know you like to celebrate the positives. And, and there's been a lot of that, right? Commiseration, a lot of community and ironically celebration. You use the word uh, right off the bat. Right. Well, you know what? Visions for people lives should be this. It's about restoring families, connecting to community, you know, racial reconciliation and impacting the world. So those are four visions that pretty much are part of my life. You know, restoring family, you know, connecting community, racial reconciliation, and impacting the world. And I've been able to do all those. 
you know, traveling the world, doing what I do in terms of the ministry component that I operate in. And listen, it's not it's not that I'm religious. I'm more relational. I do have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm more relational. I have been like that all my life. I may not have been the greatest player, but I sure can put myself in a category of being one of the greatest people. I would love my teammates. Nobody was more greater than the other one. And that's what we need to do. That football thing, it's probably a great metaphor. I think football is the greatest metaphor for life because you go through struggles, you go through uh, times of woundedness, you go through times of losing, you know, times of winning. So we celebrate anything, whether it be on the victory side or the losing side, you celebrate it because you don't have to stay there. You got to forget about yesterday and focus on what's going to happen today. And when you can do that, then you can move forward. So, it, and you know, it, it's all about design and what kind of vision you have for what you want to do. Let me give you one quick example. When the season started, when we played, the prerequisite was we know we was going to the playoffs. All right, <laughs> so we had bigger fish to fry. So our our design was okay. How are we going to win the Great Cup this year? So we didn't really celebrate going to the playoffs. <laughs> we celebrated winning the championship. Right. <laughs> so now on the other side of the ball, we try to celebrate other people. Now we don't play football anymore. So a lot of my teammates who play with me, they're celebrating. You know, like you look at Lyle Ball for example. It's a whole lot of guys like Perry Teller. You look at those guys. They celebrate celebrating with those people who are less, you know, known us or recognizing what they're doing. We lifting up the spirits of those guys, especially with Lyle Bowers' uh, organization, you know, the Never Alone Foundation. I mean, 70% of Canadians are dealing with cancer right now. 70%. Man, that's a high number. I hope you haven't had cancer yet, but golly, 70% of people in Canada develop cancer. And that's the thing that needs to be done. And he, he raised that organization or been a large part of it, man. And that's what we do. We do stuff beyond what the football does. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, 100%, James. I'm 33 years removed from my first football championship, a provincial championship at the Bantam level. And whenever I come across guys from that team, it, it's like we're 15 years old again because we achieved something together. <laughs> and it was very special, right? right? We've, we've carried it through our lives and, and our extended relationship, even though we live all spread across North America. When we see each mm. other, there's a special connection. And, and, and uh, I agree with you, football is a great metaphor for life. You mentioned a name there, one of my favorite Blue Bombers that, that doesn't get mentioned often enough as one of the greatest players in Blue Bomber history. You mentioned Perry Tuttle. Why did you mention Perry's name? Is he unwell? Well, Perry is in proximity to me. Perry lives in Carolina, close to Clemson University, and I try to talk to all my teammates at one point or another, and that's why we stay connected. I'm not saying I was a connectivity person involved, though, but I probably try to connect with more people than everybody else, though. But anyway, we try to connect with each other. Dale Fowler, Aaron Browns, uh, of course, Chris Walby, you know, Bob Cameron, James Murphy. I can just go on and on again. But uh, uh, me and Perry are much more in close proximity. Uh, uh, Tony Norman lives in my city. There's over 100 guys that actually pay. There's over 100 guys in Atlanta that actually played in the CFL. Sure. Over 100. Not all that played with the Bombers. But, you know, some of those guys in, in close proximity to me, so why wouldn't I reach out to them? It's another time of celebration. I think people should get so caught up in the now, they don't remember to celebrate, you know, what we actually did and, and what we came from. And now how can we pass it on to somebody else? And that's all designed on life. How can you pass it on the celebration of life, the celebration of life to somebody else? And that's what that's what we do, right? So, yeah, I'm just I'm excited about life. I never would imagine myself actually doing or being somebody like this, but I was getting practice for what I did, what I'm doing now, playing football. 
So what I everything that I did in football is a pretty much a metaphor that actually led me to the position that I'm doing now. Well, James, your your positivity is is entirely infectious, and uh, good for you for for having an attitude like that. When you go to a place like Houston and you see what you have seen in recent days, how is that positivity ever challenged? Do you ever feel any moments of despair? Well, yes. I mean, I face it on quite a bit, but you know what? Sometimes people call that failure, but see, failure is a catalyst for strength. You know, and I also call it the principle of pain. You know, I call it your pops, and I'm not talking about your dad, but pops is the principle of pain. For you to be able to get on the other side, you got to experience some difficulties in your life. But you know what? Pretty much it's about 90% on how you respond is how you come out on the other side. And then, like I said earlier, you know, there's going to be losses in your life, and there's going to be difficulties, and there's going to be some failure. But you have to respond positively every time in it. You know, we can hang our heads for a second, but we need to rise our head up and walk boldly in whatever that thing that is going to be. We just need to walk in a boldness. Even though we don't feel like it, we still walk forward, and we just pray for the mark because we have a mark that we're trying to engage. And you just live that life like that, man. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm no different than I was when I played football. I really not. I just think it just gave me a it gave me a boost to what I'm doing right now. But it got me prepared when I played football because I wanted to make sure every teammate felt special and every person I come across. Even you, when I'm having this conversation with you right now, this is for you now. I want to encourage you to whatever's going on in your life, man. Just keep moving forward because there is a tomorrow. <laughs> James, I mean, life is great, man. <laughs> James Wild West uh, in in the middle of the flood zone in Houston, Texas, uh, doing amazing work, inspiring people as he's done uh, for as long as I've ever known about him since the early 1980s. You're a special man, James. You're special to a lot of people here in Winnipeg. And uh, thanks for the work that you're doing. And uh, hopefully next time you're in the city, we can uh, do this face to face. Well, I tell you what, that's going to happen because I'm coming up for the Cal Murphy statue presentation. Well, so I'll see you guys later on this month. That sounds great, James. We'll uh, stay in touch with you, okay, my friend? Man, God bless you all, man. And bless, bless, opportunity. bless you too, James. Thank you so much. That is, that was neat. James West, I James mean, Wild West. Yeah, uh, that must have been like that was fun for me, just as uh, as a guy who likes to listen to interesting people on the radio. But as a bomb, as a diehard bomber fan, you know, he lined up next to Tyrone Jones, Greg Battle, Di- Delbert Fowler. He mentioned Aaron Brown. Perry Tuttle was my favorite player. I have one game worn Blue Bomber jersey, and it's a Perry Tuttle jersey. And Tony Norman used to be a good friend of uh, of our families to a certain extent, and uh, so just really cool to hear those names and to talk to James West on this level. Uh, nobody better. And uh, you, James probably friend you on Facebook and you can uh, keep track of what he's up to. Uh, stays in very close touch with uh, Coach Mike Riley as well. All right, we'll continue the conversation after we have a look at your forecast. We actually, we have a couple of interesting stories to coming out of Houston. One of them is uh, is really disgusting quite frankly and another one is inspiring so we want to share those after we look at your forecast up next you know we're just having an off the air conversation about customer service to a great extent yeah right setting an expectation Mm -hmm. and uh there's a company in the states they're uh one of the more popular restaurants popular chains chick-fil-a you heard of them 
Or Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, I think. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. I always thought it was Chick-fil-A, too. Yeah, Chick-fil-A, I think. And as I say (laughs) it out loud, yeah, no, it's not Chick-fil-A. It's Chick-fil-A. And uh, I think they're closed on Sundays. Okay. They've come under heat for their stand on uh, gay marriage Mm -hmm. in the United States. The owners have been very outspoken against that. Uh, But here's a customer service story uh, that I would like to associate myself with if I'd been given the opportunity. This is from two grandparents in Texas rescued from the floodwaters, and uh, they were on Good Morning America. uh, I think it was either today or yesterday. Tell me how you ended up on a jet ski heading out of your flooded home. Monday morning, we realized we had to evacuate. We had to get out of there. And so I called Chick-fil-A. Now, that sounds kind of funny, but I ordered two grilled chicken burritos with extra egg and a boat. And can you believe that the manager, one of the managers of Chick-fil-A, uh, she sent her husband to pick us up. And uh, we are so grateful and so thankful. That is incredible. And I know you loaded your possessions onto that boat, and there wasn't a lot of room for you and Karen to get in. So all of a sudden... Some jet skis showed up. So Karen jumped on the back of the jet ski and I jumped on the back of another one and they evacuated us to higher ground and we are ever so grateful. I've seen the scenes of people lining up along the interstate to access certain areas where people can unload their boats, like dozens and dozens of people every morning taking their boats. I I wonder what kind of tip. They got when delivering those burritos. (laughs) Now that's service. No kidding. That is amazing. But now, so you've got this this wonderful story, this story of hope and inspiration, and you know what what one some people were willing to do for others, and then on the flip side, the the worst of humanity is coming. Yeah, I think a lot of us have heard about the Best Buy forty three dollar or forty two dollar and ninety nine cent case of water at the Best Buy in the Houston area. there have been, well, I'll let the folks at KVUE in Austin, Texas tell you how many complaints they've received for price gouging. Hundreds of gas station owners, retailers, and hotel managers are under investigation tonight. The Texas Attorney General's office has received almost 700 complaints associated directly with Hurricane Harvey price gouging. The KVU defenders analyzed the numbers. KVU's investigative reporter Erica Proffer tells us where it's happening. Yeah, 684 and number one gas stations. That's some places have charged $20 a gallon. And the crime isn't restricted to Houston. So Facebook, hey, I'm gonna show you why, why nobody had no water. Look at what this. Marcus Griffin may not have known at the time. Look at this. Time of crisis, they buy up all the water and now they're selling it at 500% higher. This video is valuable. People out here struggling for water, struggling for water. Video like this can provide investigators evidence to possible crime. But wait, you do need one more thing. So we are getting a lot of photographs about a high price, but a receipt proves that someone's really charging it. This is Jim Davis from the Texas Attorney General's office. His office is combing through hundreds of price gouging tips across Texas. KB defenders analyzed the complaints. 45% of the Attorney General investigations right now are on gas stations. 40% on food and grocery, 7% retail. The rest is divided between hotels and other general businesses. This photo was taken by a customer at a Best Buy store in Houston. Water for $42.96. 
Best Buy corporate apologized and said it was an employee mistake. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. Most of these come from where people need help the most. A lot of those are in the Houston area, some of the coastal areas as well. Are you seeing anything around here? East of the of Austin area, we're seeing one or two complaints in various locations. It really So here's the best tip. Take a photo or a video if you see the crime. You can use your phone. You don't have to use a camera. Then get a receipt that proves it was sold as marked. A receipt can speed up an investigation by weeks. Sometimes stop it that day. Davis says they're starting to see milk prices now becoming gouged. Yeah, see, so some people are greedy in uh, all sorts of situations. And if you qu didn't quite what was going on at the beginning of that clip, there's a gentleman filming on Facebook, someone that had pickup trucks full of bottled water that they'd clearly stuck, stocked up upon before the hurricane, and now they're selling it like for 100 bucks a case. There is, <laughs> there is a small part of me that kind of goes, well, that's just supply and demand. But that's the, the sort of the heartless, no soul, just like straight robot logical part. And the rest of me thinks, how dare you? That's yeah. in the, that's the, it, I just, I can't even imagine being that cruel. That lack of humanity is uh, overwhelming at times. I saw a video of a best Western hotel charging $329 a night. And uh, Best Western immediately, once they heard the video, severed their franchise ties with that hotel. So, really? Yeah. So you got to be careful. People are out there watching. It's not like the good old days. You, you can't get away with crap like this anymore. No, you really can't. That's uh, It spreads so fast now if there is an injustice like that in the world. And after Global News at 2 o'clock, after 2.30, in fact, we're going to visit with Carolyn Clausen. She is going to tell you about five people that you need to kick out of your life. I wonder if price gouges are on that list. Global <laughs> News at 2 o'clock is up next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. It's 2.06 on this Thursday afternoon. Carolyn Clausen at 2.30 and then Zara Premji from Global News will join us from downtown Winnipeg at True North Square and give us a much more detailed and uh, intimate look at uh, the progress being made at the towers that are under construction now and what's happening uh, with regard to those uh, two hotels that will be constructed. Uh, the face of the Winnipeg skyline is changing dramatically because of that project, Brett, and it is a big deal, and I know uh, Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham are going to have extension, extensive coverage of that on their program this afternoon as well. Yeah, I remember uh, just, uh, we went for Matt Cardy's going away a few weeks ago at the, the, right. the Tavern United rooftop patio, and it clearly had been a long time since I had been up there because <laughs> the, the hydro building being there sort of because I thought, ah, it'll be sunny on the patio, I'll wear T-shirts and, and shorts, but the sun was well hidden by the hydro building, so I was kind of cold up there. Mr. Burns's giant uh, sun <laughs> refractor, retractor, fangy. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was... Same effect, right? Well, it was cold, actually, I was because the building was blocking it, and now uh, if you... Now the, the true north is going up, so yeah, it's uh, there's been so much change in our downtown it's quite extraordinary. Every time I go downtown there, I always, depending on which route I take, I almost always see something where I go, when did that go up? <laughs> and that's, hey, and that, I, I think we want that to a certain extent. That 360 Main, that artist street building at Portage in Maine, man, does that ever look different now that it's been reclad in all the different blue glass? Oh, my God, it looks spectacular. Yep. If their apartment building that they're planning to build at Graham in Maine looks anything like that, 
holy Moses, like uh, five years from now, uh, it, it will be almost unrecognizable in a good way in terms of our skyline. Yeah, we uh, we spoke to a caller yesterday who made the joke, it's time to get into the 20th century, Yes, never mind the 21st century, and uh, our city is moving at a rapid pace into that direction. You know, uh, our conversation about the uh, idea of price gouging in Texas and what's going on uh, elicited uh, some different responses on text message, 7806868. We always welcome your calls and your texts on the things that we discuss. The first one... I got, got my back up a little bit here. Uh, our Canadian government is no different. Jumping up gas from 88.9 to 107.9 is gouging only because of the hurricane. That should be mentioned on the radio as well. Well, the government does not control gas prices. It's 107.9? I don't know where it's 107.9. I've seen 99.9, but maybe it's 107.9. Are you going on the gasbuddy.com? <laughs> I knew what you were doing. Yeah, I Winnipeg, uh... So I answered that. The government The government is not raising gasoline prices. The suppliers are. And then our texter says, it's still price gouging by the suppliers, and the government is still raking in all the taxes. Okay, that the, those five words hold true. I don't see the government stepping in and saying, no, we can't allow this to continue to happen. Well, what are they supposed to do? 25% or 40% of the gasoline that we consume in North America is refined in the Houston area. So they're in the middle of a disaster. There's, there are going to be genuine gasoline shortages in the northeastern part of the United States. As this thing works itself out, uh, the government may have to step in at that point. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, the texture goes on to say a few refineries shutting down because of hurricanes should never affect gas prices when there are hundreds of refineries Canadians get their gas for hundreds? I, did, I think you're incorrect there, Dexter. When oil closes at $47 a, ba- a barrel, gas prices should not be jumping up because of certain refineries shutting down. That is gouging Canadians. Well, I don't know if it's gouging or not. I'm never really happy to pay anything for gasoline, no matter the price. I, I'm not really very happy about it, but uh, I might actually be on the side of the oil uh, companies and the gasoline uh, distributors right now because uh, this is a very difficult situation for them. Yeah, and I think part of the frustration, at least as far as that that thing goes, is the price of gas is always very quick to jump whenever there's anything in the world that indicates there could be a problem with the Any distribution. Any excuse whatsoever? Boom, the price goes up. I'll give you that. But it always takes a long time mm-hmm. for it to go the other way. So I think I just I think the the anger of this text is sort of. I, the spirit is in the right spot, but right. It's, it's being aimed at the wrong Yeah, the government place. the government doesn't have control over this, and there are very extenuating circumstances. Jeff says all over the city, 107.9. Yeah, I'm looking at gas, uh, winnipeggasprices.com, and there are a whole bunch of gas stations as of within the last five minutes ago, for example, the co-op on Gateway, the Shell on Henderson. Wow. There's, uh, looks like a lot, Henderson, Jefferson, McPhillips, uh, then there are some on Portage Avenue, Pemina, but there are still some that even within the last, as of three minutes ago, the Superstore at Gateway is 99.9. There is a 99.7 Petro Canada on Wellington Avenue, so there are still some cheaper. And then GasBuddy.com has the top ten lowest prices in Manitoba, and there's actually a Petro Canada uh, at 500 Oak Point Highway and Lucas Avenue. That says that's in Winnipeg. I'm not familiar with where that is, so forgive me for that, but it says 88.9. Okay, well, I got to go.
<laughs> I gotta go fill my tank. <laughs> there's a, there's a, some in Oak Bank and Clandeboy and Treehearn and St. Claude that are all 88.9. Okay, so if you see it for under $1.7.9, you're getting a bargain. How's that? Yeah. Take advantage. Speaking of taking advantage, uh, how do you feel about this one? So where was the outcry when motels were overcharging for rooms on the Eclipse Path? I'm not sure that that's a natural disaster. I don't know if we can equate the two. My answer on text was this is that is entrepreneurship taking advantage of geography. You have a choice to book or not to book. Not even close to the same thing. Texter says taking advantage is correct. Maybe may not be the same thing, but nonetheless screwing people over. I don't condone price gouging, but raising the price of the water is taking advantage of geography. No, it's not. It's taking advantage of people who are in the middle of a disaster zone. Not even close to the same thing. And the the supply and demand argument could be made there as well. And in, and I think I would have to agree with Greg on this one. That I mean, this is an event where people are coming down to places where maybe they wouldn't normally come down. I I I have nothing against the Midwest United States. I'm sure Nebraska looks like looks like it's a lovely place. But I would <laughs> imagine it's not a tourist mecca. Right. So. Of course, they got to take advantage of the fact that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for us to make it a few extra bucks. And it looks like they had no problems filling those rooms. If I was making, if I was one of those guys who was running down there to see the eclipse, I would have been prepared to pay a premium or would have booked early. There's a good chance that people who booked early were okay. It was the people who waited till the last second who probably had to pay a lot because just in the days leading up to the event, there were hotels that were going for like, I think they're $1,800 a night jumps out of me for some you reason. Don't ha- you didn't have to pay it. You didn't have to go. It's on necessity of life. Yeah. You can hang up the phone or click off the website and go, well, I guess we're not going to Oregon. Yeah. I guess we're not going to the middle of Nebraska to see the eclipse. Oh, well, I guess we'll watch it on TV or online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. Not even close to the same thing, but I appreciate the uh, the back and forth with the with the texter for sure. I oh. love to talk about stuff like that. Or you could have just waited, watched it here. I know we got it was cloudy that day, but the clouds did break for a moment, yeah. and I had the eclipse glasses, yeah. and it was neat. Yeah, yeah. Not the same as when it goes completely dark for three minutes in the middle of the day. Of course not. That's exactly why people are driving all from all over and coming from all over the world, right? And it would have been a spectacular sight. Mm-hmm. So why don't we take a pause? Thanks for the text messages. Keep them coming. $1.79, okay. There 90, we go. 96.9 at Husky on Marion. Okay. Make a break for that. It's always cheaper there. The two yeah. good Husky what's, and Domo. What's the deal with that? They, are, they say it's like a wholesale location. I've never quite understood, and I never actually go there, which I don't understand why, because I drive by there all, like every <laughs> Sunday I drive by those two gas stations. Really? And I never go there. I don't and know. You just go by and you marvel at the fact that the gas is cheaper there than it is anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I should just stop you there pop one pop in once a time. You're good at the pop-ins. Pop in. <laughs> We're going to have a look at your forecast. Up next... The face of uh, downtown Winnipeg uh, is changing dramatically, has been doing so, I would say, since the beginning of the construction. Well, the, you could argue the demolition of the Eaton store about 11, 12 years ago and the construction of MTS Centre, now Bell MTS Place, and uh, the Manitoba Hydro Building, the Centre Point. Yes, development across from Bell MTS Place with uh, the Alt Hotel and uh, Glasshouse Lofts and uh, lots of other developments over the last handful of years, but maybe no project bigger than uh, the construction of True North Square, Brett. And we are joined live by Zara Premji, reporter with Global News, Global Television. Zara, you got to, to tour the, the area today. What can you tell us? 
Well, Brett, you might actually hear it's a little bit loud here because we are still on the site walking off right now. I think the big news that's come out today is that after roughly 40 or 45 years, a large hotel is now coming into downtown. Sudden Place announced it's going to be breaking ground uh, spring or summer 2018. And Chop Steakhouse is announced as their big anchor restaurant. So exciting news, a big restaurant coming through. Uh, A lot of work still happening here. Uh, What my cameraman and I both said today is simply that when you're out on the street walking by this, it doesn't really look as big as it is. Then when you go inside, we were on the third floor. It was just massive. It looked so different than what we had seen uh, other times just walking by. So the uh, fact that the hotel development is is taking place, I think for a lot of Winnipeggers, right? You see these developments. I, I'm old enough to remember that when uh, what we called the Trizac development at Portage and Maine, we were just talking about uh, the recladding of 360 Maine into that beautiful blue glass. When that was originally announced back in the late 1970s, that was supposed to be two twin towers of the same height at that location. And so Winnipeggers, I think, have gotten used to plans being announced. Yeah, we're going to build four towers and it's going to be spectacular. Or this, and then when when things uh, finally uh, come to fruition, they're they're, they're kind of half the size uh, that they were promised. This is the culmination of the full project and an announcement that the full project is absolutely a goal a go, Zara. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, we asked that same question to Jim Ludlow, and we said because he made an announcement saying that June 29, 2018, you can start to see some of the tenants filling up on the business side of things over here. And we asked him, how can you be so certain? And he said, we have commitments to our tenants and we intend to keep those. So I think barring any massive Mother Nature situation, uh, June 29th, 2018 is when you'll start seeing the first few people moving in over here. So when is the the Sutton Place Hotel and its accompanying residential tower, when are those expected to be open? Uh, As far as the Sutton Hotel, they said it's going to take at least roughly three years or so. Uh, Still a question as to the exact date. But then I did go back and I said, you know, are you okay on the timeline? Are you following the timeline? And so far, everything according to what they're saying is following the perfect timeline, what they expected. Um, And the earliest you can expect to see these two towers opening, uh, people being able to see somewhat of the final product and walking through is the end of 2020 or early 2021. So there's still a little bit of time to wait, but uh, this is uh, big news, a big announcement. And uh, that uh, development, what what are they putting up? Is Is it a story a week right now, Zara? I think roughly, yes. I think that's a fair estimate. When we went in there, it just looked like so much more was complete than we had originally seen from outside. So when you walk through the inside, it does look like, in fact, a story a week, Uh, if not more. There's a lot of uh, people working through this. And I, as hot as it is, as cold as it is, I expect that they'll continue to work through this. All right, Zara Premji with Global News. Thank you so much for joining us live on 680 CJOB, and she'll have more tonight on Global News at 6 o'clock on Global Television. And Richard Kluche and Julie Buckingham will have much more on this, including a Facebook Live uh, with several of the key players involved in the decision-making and uh, the key stakeholders in this development in the middle of downtown Winnipeg. Have you ever been to Chop uh, Steakhouse and Bar? I have. I'm a big fan. I actually, oddly enough, I've never. I don't know that I've ever had dinner there, but I have gone to sat in their lounge a few times. Very nice lounge. They have excellent 
chicken wings, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Have no you had them? way. Yeah, they've got, uh, I always end up getting the Parmesan bacon. I'm just looking at their menu right now. The Parmesan bacon chicken wings are delightful, and their steak bites are very good, too. So... Why are you doing that to us? It's right in the middle of the afternoon. It's when I start craving a Snickers bar. (laughs) And uh, now you're going to force me to go and find the vending machine and have something I shouldn't be having. And Forte's all mad as well. (laughs) I have some yogurt in the fridge if you want. No, it doesn't do it. Uh, Bacon and Parmesan chicken wings? Is that what you said? Parmesan bacon chicken wings. They're very (laughs) good. Hmm, I think it's I a nice lounge too. So I think I know what I'm having for supper tonight: <laughs> Parmesan bacon chicken wings. Mm-hmm. So, um, do we have time briefly to talk about roasting before we pause for global news? You know what? I, I had uh, about a four-minute uh, audio feature on this roasting thing, and uh, we promised it to you. Uh, the idea is that. Kids are taking advantage of this opportunity, quote-unquote, that was created uh, oh, a couple of years ago when someone just threw up a video on Facebook or uh, that might have been Instagram that said basically hashtag roast me. And this individual is looking for his friends and, and people that he knew to, uh, you know, kind of lay the smack down, right? You've seen these celebrity roasts. Uh, the Justin Bieber one was one that was definitely in the public eye uh, last year because of the type of people that were involved. And then, I mean, Dean Martin started doing this a long, long time ago, right? So I guess this guy thought it would be kind of neat to hear what his friends think about him in a sarcastic fashion. Well, it's kind of taken on an entire life of its own. And so now people that are un- not invited necessarily to roast individuals are taking part. It's getting mean. It's getting uh, it's getting hateful. And it's not really in the spirit that it was created. So surprise, surprise, things have gone off the rails and people are not in the spirit of how this had started out. And so if you're if you have kids of a certain age and they're FaceTiming with their friends or you hear them in their back and forth conversation, a word that you want to be listening for is roasted and or roasting and uh, ask your kids about it. Ask what they know about that word and and why are they using it? The celebrity roasts, I remember... (laughs) Uh, and I, the first time I, I sat down to watch one with a buddy of mine who loves watching these Comedy Central celebrity roasts, and I thought, geez, they, they're really mean to each other. Why are they so mean? Oh, it's overwhelming. And then it finally just clicked one day when I, I think they, we, I was over there for New Year's Eve, and we were getting ready for guests to show up, and, and they were just doing like a, a roast marathon. And Cloris Leachman came out, and I think she was roasting <laughs> Bob Saget. Oh, my word. Cloris Leachman. And she cut him down, but it was funny. It was just, it was a nice, it was a good joke, and her delivery was perfect. And then I finally signed on. But it is mean. But you, in the context of a celebrity roast, you know what you're signing up for. If you don't like it, you can go home and wipe your tears with your millions of dollars. Yes. And there's no anonymity on either side. That's right. I mean, everybody, you know exactly what you're signing up for, and they are getting mean, but I think that's part of the humor is that it is so mean. But in the context of teenagers trying to roast each other and cut each other down like that, I can see that leading to all sorts of problems. So you should maybe be left to the pros. Exactly. You're talking about some of the very best comedians on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. Cutting humor and going about speaking in that fashion, it's it's, it's an art. Mm Mm-hmm. And so uh, leaving it in the hands of uh, teenagers who are maybe out to genuinely hurt the feelings of others uh, might not be the best thing. Anyway, uh, it's not 
as with everything, not the end of the world. It's not the uh, biggest story in the planet right now, but parents with school starting up again next week, you'll want to be uh, keeping your ears and eyes open for those two words, roasted and roasting. After Global News at 2.30, Carolyn Clausen will be here. We're going to talk about five people you need to kick out of your life. What's Carolyn's uh, catchphrase? We are wired for connection. Correct. What if there's like some bad wiring going on and you need to disconnect some wires like, you know, like you see in the movies when you have to defuse a bomb, perhaps. Do I cut the red wire or the yellow wire? Yellow, red. What do I do? And the the music builds. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes maybe you have to do this in your life. So first time seeing you in like close to a month here, Carolyn, and I'm going to throw you right off track here and talk about something negative. And I apologize for that. First of all. Great to see you. It's good to see you. You're having a great summer? Oh, I just love summer. You were willing to say happy September, and I am not. We are still the last day of August, and do not steal one minute of the summer away from me. Okay, I won't do that. <laughs> well, you still have, technically have three weeks of summer. The season yes, doesn't end until That's right, late and so September. let's enjoy them all. Oh, I didn't I didn't wish her happy autumn. <laughs> just happy September. Yeah. How dare he? No, no, I, How no dare I'm, you? I'm trying to get, get her yeah, to put a positive my, spin on it. You're on my side. Yeah. I can see that. Thank you, Brad. Like, do you not wish Happy New Year on <laughs> December 31st? I believe you do. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, uh, Brett came across this uh, fascinating article and uh, this whole idea of, you know, there might be some people in your life that you might want to consider saying goodbye to. Yes. Well, and I think you opened up with we are wired for connection and what happens if some of those wires um, create are, are unhealthy. I think that's kind of the secret to all of this is that we are wired for connection. And in the absence of really positive relationships, we'll take whatever relationships we can get. Mm. And so often people settle into relationships that are less than ideal, but somehow, you know, we're so frantic. We need them without relationships. We die. We suffer. Um, so people settle into relationships that aren't always good for them. And I think the challenge is to figure out what what are good relationships and how can we transition unhealthy relationships to good ones or replace the unhealthy ones and find people that can relate to us well. So what do you do then and before we go through the list of yeah. the, the five people you need to dump? How If you have a, a relationship that is negative... You know, I mean, it can be hard to to just make the decision, I am going to remove this person from my life. So how can you maybe take that first step into towards moving in that direction? Well, and I'm not, I'm a person that likes to avoid kicking people out of my life if possible. What I would rather do is give them a chance um, because often people don't know when they're offensive and they don't know when they're relating well to you. And it's really hard in our culture. And I think what we have to recognize is that whether we will admit to it or not or whether we consciously do it or not, we teach people how to treat us. And if people get away with treating us badly, how do they know what's a problem? And so I think that, there, that the first step is recognizing um, that it is a problem and then it, deciding whether you're going to take the responsibility to put out in the relationship of this is not okay. You know, you can't keep borrowing money from me and never pay me back. Um, That part of that pattern happens when you continue to borrow money to the person who's not paying you back. When I was in the restaurant business, we used to do this thing, uh, one place I was at in particular, I was pretty vested in this place. I didn't own the place, but it was on the management team. And uh, we were continually trying to get better. And, you know, the food really couldn't get much better. It was as, as good as it could get. But 
we knew that the wild card was people, right? Yeah. Always uh, the people interacting with the public. And we used to do this thing with all our staff on a weekly basis. Used to rate them on something called a people matrix. Okay. And we used to kind of divide it into aptitude and attitude. Okay. And so newer people, sometimes their aptitude wasn't great, but their attitude was outstanding. But we also found that there were some people who'd been around for a while. They were entitled. They had certain things, uh, uh, you know, they had their way of doing thing and things. And even though you would try and train them to do things a little bit differently, they were hesitant to embrace the, the, the new thing. Mm-hmm. And so we would call those people crushers. Because they were leaders to a, c- a certain extent to the newer people because they'd been there for a while. But they were very dangerous. Someone with a poor attitude was way more dangerous than poor aptitude. Could always train someone to be better right. at, 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 at you know making tea or, or at setting a table or, or at, at interacting with customers, right? If they were inclined to learn. And so we would really, like if you had someone that was in a certain part of that people matrix in certain area in that top uh, or bottom right-hand corner where their aptitude was great, but their attitude sucked. And they were there for more than three weeks and and either they hadn't moved on the people matrix or moved out the door. Mm-hmm. I was held responsible for that sort of thing. So it, that was my first kind of eye-opening opportunity to realizing that sometimes we settle because say someone's really good at selling. Okay. They're good at doing most of the things, but it's just their personality. You will deal with and suffer through a lot of their crappy, you know, traits because there is an end benefit somewhere along the line. We get lazy about kicking people out of our lives because it's not an easy thing to do. But what I love about the story you told is that um, you were filling up this matrix constant, filling up the matrix consciously, but then you're also giving feedback to the employees, so they have a chance to see where they are, and what are the behaviors, and what are what kind of feedback can they respond to, and they have an opportunity if they're teachable to get themselves out of that quadrant. Right. right? It's only that you end the employment once they show a resistance to to exiting that quadrant. And they always knew, right? They knew it was coming. You know, I like, I got to let you know, Brett, if we're having this conversation next Thursday, um, it'll be the last one. Right. If this is still in that bottom right quadrant, that, that it'll be our last conversation. People knew distinctively that, that that's where we're at. And I think we're hesitant to do that, to set those parameters with our personal relationships. Yeah, it's... Uh... I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because you're, you're you're afraid of confrontation. And do you think maybe that's where it stems from? Because so many of us would rather just avoid a confrontation than, than get into one. Well, these are absolutely uncomfortable conversations. And I think it's, um, you know, I've watched people, they would they would rather end the relationship than have the uncomfortable conversation of, I don't like how you keep criticizing my friends when you're around me. It's sort of easier to avoid the whole thing by just distancing yourself and letting that relationship drop off rather than giving feedback to that person, which would be uncomfortable and awkward. And we don't know how they react. It would feel very vulnerable and it would be difficult to do, but it could produce some really good results because sometimes people just need to know how we we can't read each other's minds. And if, if I'm doing something that doesn't feel good to you, how am I supposed to know that unless you tell me? 
So you mentioned that you don't like to kick people out. You like to give them a chance. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's and what you, <laughs> the impetus wasn't to say, oh, this person, <laughs> this is the kind of person that I have in my life. I don't like them. Goodbye. Here's the justification. I finally found it. Here it is in black and white. And uh, you fit into this category. Beat it. That, that's not probably where we're going with this. But if you have a person in your life and you've had these discussions, let's say, uh, I don't know, I tell Jeff Fortier, I don't think he smiles enough and I think he needs to smile more in master control. And he doesn't smile. And eventually he he doesn't he just ignores me ignores me ignores me so i've given him a chance he's taken the feedback and he's done nothing with it so at what point do you say okay that's it we're putting a blind between the two of us because we don't want to look at your grouchy face anymore when i think what you're asking is is there a permission whether it's time to kick somebody out of out of my life is that okay is that an evil or a harsh or a nasty thing to do i think it's a very real thing to do right where you are a person of dignity and worth, and if people aren't going to value you in the way you know that you deserve to be valued, then does it make sense to have them hanging around? Because when they drag you down, then you're not of the, you're affected by that, and that affects all your relationships, right? And so part of valuing yourself and valuing all your relationships is letting people know this is this is what I need from you, and I'm going to have to create some space if I can't find a way for, for me to be in a healthy space together with you. Before we came on the air for our own program before 1 o'clock, we were talking about Jeff with Jeff Courier and talking about we were going to discuss this. And I used an analogy. I've been using it for a decade now about who's on my bus. And I've used it with you before. And this whole idea of I'm constantly evaluating with, you know, who's who's allowed on my bus mm-hmm. with me? And, and you know, where they sit on the bus, closer to right. the front or the back, that's changed over the years. Sometimes I've asked some to get off and others invited them to get on. But Jeff made a really good point about, you know, yeah, but are you driving that bus? And I said, you know, you know, and it it made me think, yeah, I am driving that bus now. But there were times when I was just a passenger, even though I was cognizant of who was on the bus with me. I think I was a passenger more than I was the driver. I am the driver now. And I think there's a tipping point when you become passenger to driver. Sure. And and even, you know, being a passenger sounds so powerless, right? Where you have less ability to influence where people are going to sit. Hey, driver, why'd you let him on the bus? (laughs) Right? And I think, you know, if you're the driving of the bus, then you have the ability to say you are not allowed to come on the bus. And I think there's something really courageous about that, but it also sets you up to be so much more successful in life. And I think if people know that they need your permission to get on the bus, then they act in a certain way towards you. And and I think I love it when I have friends that know their inherent value and worth and they will not allow themselves to be treated badly. They hold me to a high standard. That makes me a better person. Okay, we're going to do. We're going to start the, the list. We'll do one before we check your forecast, and we'll start with number one, which is Mister or Ms. I told you so. Sometimes, in an effort to be supportive, a friend will say, "I told you so." Of course. This isn't helpful, nor is it supportive. It's really more about your friend being right than it is about supporting you. If you have a friend who constantly does this, drop them. Carolyn Clausen, <laughs> what do you say about that? Well, I think it's it's interesting because that the way the paragraph is related is this is this is something people do to be supportive, but it's not. And so a lot of what this list is is about calling people to honesty, right? When you think you have a friend who's coming along and being supportive, and it's not actually supportive, let's not kid ourselves. Somebody who says, I told you so, that makes you feel smaller, not more supported. And we need people around us when we've blown it and when we did something that they thought was dumb. We are smart enough to know that stuff ourselves. That I told you so is just like salt in the wound. What we need somebody to come by is to say, oh, this sucks, eh? And, you know, I'll 
let, like, let's figure out how to pick up the pieces. And um, it's not supportive to say, I told you so. And people just have to recognize that. We're doing inventory. We're figuring out who's on our bus. We'll tell you who shouldn't be on your bus as we continue. And I just also want to quickly say Jeff Forte. <laughs> He's always smiling. We just made that up. He's not grouchy. He's, he's going to pause the conversation for us as we check our forecast up next. Carolyn Clausen is cleaning the studio here, and uh, she touched my computer here, and I, I guess got to get the weather open here. Uh, just give me a sec. I got it. I got oh, it. Oh, where are you? Right, here we go. Mostly sunny and hazy today. South wind at 40, gusting to 60, high 28. She literally was cleaning the studio for us. Mostly clear, low of 17 degrees. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. High of 25. Saturday, mostly sunny and a high of 24. Right now, 25 degrees outside 680 CJOB. Well, maybe if you had been helping her clean instead of uh, and put your phone down for a second, you uh, would have been, you wouldn't have... Are you you interested in knowing what I was doing over the three minutes over our commercial break? He was working. Yes, I was. And uh, our listeners will bear the fruit of that work tomorrow afternoon. I can't announce it yet, but a pretty high-profile guest has fallen on our lap. And if I didn't answer right away, it was going to happen somewhere else on this radio station. So you can thank me later oh, with a cold taken, beer you and taken, Parmesan and bacon wings. You could have taken top. one second to look up and said, oh, sorry, Carolyn, let me move. We're talking about five people you need to kick out of your life. Uh, this is an article we found in Psychology Today. We already went through number one, which is Mr. or Ms. I told you so. And number two is Debbie or Denny Downer. And the paragraph reads, of course your friends will get depressed or be pessimistic. Occasionally. However, you don't need friends in your life who are always negative, especially when you are happy and optimistic. You know, the friend who always sees the drawbacks of everything. Choose friends who can give you an objective perspective, not those who are always drawn to the dark side. I think there's a potential for, and people are aware of, of the possibility of groupthink. And if you're feeling a certain way about something and somebody is always sort of presenting the cup as half empty, it colors over time. And uh, we can our mood can be negatively affected, and I think we need to examine: Do the friendships in our life build us up, or do they make us more suspicious, more critical? Do they tear us down? Life isn't all great, and I think it's important to be realistic. But when you have somebody that is always looking at how cloudy the skies are and never happens to notice when it's sunny about anything on any topic, I think that's hard on a on a person. And you have to watch how many people you have like that in your life. I love that word groupthink. Mm. It's not a positive thing, right? When you hear that for the first time, you go, oh, I mean, thing, yeah, being a, a cooperative, no, no, no. It means getting, uh, you know, basically tied down into the and dredged down, right, into thinking the same way. And typically it's not a positive thing. It's it's in a negative fashion, groupthink. Well, and groupthink can be positive, but it, what it means is you need a critical mass to keep it positive. Yeah, and, it's tough. And it's hard because I think it's just a little bit of negative, negativity can, you know, bring the whole group down. And I think it's... it's it's important to be aware of that, and and I. But I think it. You again, we go back to: Do you have to kick that person out, or can you challenge that person and invite them and let them know the impact that is having on your life? All right, the third type of person that you want to get rid of is: It's all about me. I, I, I suspect that would be a lot of radio show hosts, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's the blurb. Narcissists are simply not very supportive friends. They are self-focused, so can't be relied on when you need support. Another type of all-about-me friend is the one who needs to take credit for everything 
or who constantly needs to be propped up emotionally. All give and no take isn't what you need in your life. Relationships are intended to be reciprocal. And I think we all have to recognize that um, we all are narcissistic. So I use the analogy that if you if you have a person who's drowning in the middle of a lake, they are inherently narcissistic. All they can think about is how to get their next breath. And they are dangerous to the people around them who want to help them, right? And it's not because they are trying to harm the people around them. It's because they're just trying to survive. And I think we all have periods in our life where we are looking to figure out how to survive and we become so self-focused. The challenge is to recognize that it that's how do we be there for our friends who are going through that phase, but relationships need to be reciprocal give and take. And if you're always giving, 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 that's draining. And how do we find relationships that are going to be growing and life-giving and have seasons where we get to feel the goodness of giving to them and being there for them when they're going through a hard time, but knowing that they're going to do that for us when we're there. Number four is the backstabber. There's nothing worse than a two-faced friend. A person you confide in who then tells everyone your secret. Or the person who tells you one thing but tells others the opposite. Trust is a critical element of a good relationship. So if you know you cannot trust someone, you don't need them in your life. Trust is built over time in the smallest of moments over time, but it can very easily be broken. Uh, And I think um, that... A backstabber, like a two-faced friend, I don't think there is such a thing as a two-faced friend. If somebody is two-faced, then they aren't your aren't friend. Your friend right. And it's about being honest about that. Um, where they may be a lot of fun, they might be a lot of fun to hang around, but you got to be careful how much you let them into your inner world if you know you can't trust them because it sucks to get burned. Well, I think that's the best trait that a friend can describe another friend at is, is loyal. Right. And someone that you can de- and dependable are, the, to me, the two uh, best traits that people can identify and and describe you with. What's number five, Brett? Number five, the last on the list, Mr. or Ms. Pick a Side. A final type of relationship you do not need is one where the other person requires you to be completely on their side. Their enemies have to be your enemies. You're either with them completely or against them. Often this is, again, this is often the position of narcissistic or borderline individuals whose insecurity requires them to see relationships as all good or all bad. One of the beautiful parts about friendship is that they are kind of, they call us to account and they help us to grow. And so if I'm having a bad day and I've had a struggle with someone, I don't want them just to jump on and say, oh yeah, you're right, they're terrible. I Isn't it cool if you can kind of challenge, well, what if you saw it a different way and how can you help the other person grow? And if you're supposed to just agree with them all the time, that doesn't allow you your own space for your own opinion and your own perspective and your own opportunity to help them grow in the friendship. I think part of friendship is not seeing eye to eye. That's the beauty of friendship. Yeah, the best friends are ones that you can be honest with, right? And say, you know what? You're not really handling that very well. Yeah, and to disagree and to know that you that, that doesn't threaten the connection between you. And what he's talking about here is unless you agree and think exactly like I do, then you're judging me and I don't feel like I'm, we're solid. And that's a very frightening friendship to be in, and it's actually not a real friendship. There's no respect there, none whatsoever. Right. But again, the key is in our final, for our final thought here, is not just to immediately eliminate people from your life. It's to at least try to take steps to 
see if you can't course correct. To before. name it for what it is and then say, what am I going to do about this? Because this actually isn't a supportive friendship. I'm acting like I'm close to them, but if they're doing these sorts of behaviors that are not authentic relationships, and how do I move them into authentically supportive relationships rather than seemingly uh, supportive friendships? The headline is five people you need to kick out of your life. You can read the article at psychologytoday.com. You can read more interesting stuff at Carolyn Claussen's blog at connexuscounseling.ca, where she is a therapist. Connexus Counseling, and her name once again, Carolyn Claussen. She visits us every Thursday at 2.30 on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. We are excited to tell you about this next segment, this next topic, because it's new technology. It was pitched to us as back-to-school new tech for the classroom, um, but I think it's it's sort of extension, it can be used beyond that. It's technology for the blind and visually impaired. And our guest is someone who has benefited from this technology. So before we introduce her, we want to at least tell you a little bit about the technology. And uh, we will let a technology expert do just that. This is the world's most advanced device for people who are blind or visually impaired. It is a camera over here in the front and a speaker in the back, and OrCam mounts on any pair of existing, uh, any pair of eyeglasses or sunglasses. Now OrCam is activated by a simple pointing gesture. It's the only device in the world for assistive technology that can be activated by pointings. Complimentary one-on-one training. Now the OrCam can also recognize faces. One person is in front of you. Please name the person in front of you after the beep. Ariel. Now, when I turn to look at Ariel, Ariel, his name is announced in my voice. I speak to our, our users all the time, um, such as a young mother of three who reads books to her children for the first time, you know, using OrCam, or somebody who's blind and goes to a restaurant, able to read the menu, make a selection, and it's just really heartwarming to hear how this technology helps people, helps our users regain their independence, um, you know, have to improve the quality of life, whether it's uh, going back to the, you know, the workforce, living more independently at home. How about that, Brett McGarry? Um, technology being our friend and, and giving those with a, with a, a disadvantage, uh, you know, the opportunity to do what we all take for granted or what many of us take for granted. And Serena Cormier is our guest. She is somebody who has benefited from using the OrCam My Eye. And Serena, thank you so much for joining us today. We reached you in Toronto today? Oshawa, near oh, Toronto. <laughs> okay, so Serena, before we we talk about your experience with this technology, can you tell us a little bit about why you need it? Yeah, sure. So I'm visually impaired. I'm legally blind. I'm progressively losing my vision. Um, I have a diagnosis called retinitis pigmentosa, which was stable for about... Um, for years and then in the last year things started declining and I started needing more assistance in my day-to-day life. So as it stands right now, I'm not able to read anything, see signs. Um, As a gentleman just mentioned, menus, things like that are difficult. Um, Books, anything really. So it's impacted my social life and work life and OrCam has really helped me um, sort of be able to do those things that have being more difficult in the last year for me. Now, Serena, I don't know if it was super clear in that clip as to how small and how uh, this device uh, is 
essentially attached to you. Maybe you could uh, put it into your own words in terms of the size and how do you, how do you fix it to your body so that it's a, a part of everyday life for you? Sure. So I could speak to that. So it's um, basically the camera and earpiece goes on the bridge of my glasses. You can pick any glasses that you like that it'll fit on. It fits on most eyeglasses. And it's about the size of my thumb. So it's pretty discreet. Um, it goes right on the bridge and the camera is in front and it's attached to an earpiece that goes right beside my ear, which is attached to another piece that's probably the size of my hand that you can place on a belt or just put in a purse beside you. And it, so it's pretty discreet. It has sort of two components. Right now it's not cordless, but I understand that that's something that they're hoping to develop in the future. So... So it has a little speaker on it that kind of, is it like a, a headphone or is it just something that kind of sits over top of your ear? So it sits on the bridge of the glasses and the speaker is right next to the ear. So it's connected to your eyeglasses. So the camera is sort of in the front and the camera is connected by a little bridge, like I said, the size of my thumb or smaller right beside my ear that comes sort of down off the off the glasses. Well, and then that way you don't have to have an earbud in your ear all the time, right? That speaker is there and it's not always being used. But you work uh, as a social worker in a hospital. Tell us how this has either changed your career, your ability to work, or, or maybe it dramatically extended how long you'll be able to work and, and do your and conduct your profession. Sure. So, yeah, I'm the social worker in an emergency department at a hospital. And I basically need assistance with any sort of reading. So as a social worker, I work um, reading a lot of medical documents. And I have a lot of different equipment that I use. So I have magnifiers of different types. But to read a longer document or even a shorter document with a magnifier is time-consuming. It can be quite exhausting, both for my eyes and just in general, having to do spot reading and longer documents can be time-consuming. So an OrCam allows me to not really have to use my own energy and to let the device sort of read to me um, and takes care of that process. So I've used it at work quite a lot along with other equipment, but I've also been able to use it in um, sort of my education endeavors. So as part of my work, I go to conferences and I've recently completed a course for work and it has helped me sort of get through that a lot easier than if I just had a magnifier alone. So how long, like let's say, for example, you're, you're reading a textbook. How long does it take to, uh, to read using the, the OrCam My Eye? To just read, say, like a, like a paragraph. So it reads it in real time. So I would say it's not really any slower than if I were to read it to myself. So I point at anything and it concentrates or it sort of focuses on the nail bed, I think, is what the camera is looking for. And it reads the three or four lines above my finger or the text block that I'm pointing at. And as soon as I touch the page, it reads it back to me instantly. So, you know, have there been any humorous situations where maybe the OrCam <laughs> has read something uh, that isn't exactly what it says on the page or on the menu? Uh, do, do you have, I mean, we all have our interaction with Siri and other voice recognition software that are self-autocorrect that goes awry. Uh, any stories like that you can share with us, Serena, to lighten things up before we let you go? Yeah, so um, it mispronounces things sometimes. So um, if there's an E on the end, it'll think, Sometimes it almost, I think it thinks it's like French, so it'll read like there's an E on the end of the word hospital and it read hospitale 
And then other times it, um, it can mispronounce things, which is quite funny. Um, but mostly it's pretty, pretty accurate, I would say. Um, I found with some facial recognitions, um, sometimes it, um, a couple of times it mispronounced my friend's names or mistake one friend for another friend or those sort of things, but that doesn't happen very often. So, Serena, how, does, how did you come into getting to use this product? So the OrCam can be ordered right off the website. When you are a consumer and you sort of ask or have interest in it, they do a demo with you to make sure that it works for you specifically. Um, so you can do that right on the website, OrCam.com. But I actually found out about it through one of my doctors. Dr. Jerzyk sells it. So certain doctors can sell it directly themselves and do a demo themselves. I know there's a few in Toronto, and she was one of them. So I ended up coming to her for... Um, assistance with technology for my personal life, and she suggested this device for me. Well, Serena, this is uh, this is really incredible stuff, and we're we're glad to hear that it's made such a positive uh, or had such a positive impact in your life, and hopefully, it will affect uh, many more around the world. Thank you very much. All right, Serena Cormier joining us from Toronto. Once again, she has retinitis pigmentosa, a genetic condition which uh, has caused progressive vision loss but thanks to this orcam my eye device she can still you know it's helped her with reading and uh, all sorts of stuff that uh, that otherwise would have been difficult at the very least to understate it this use of technology completely fascinates me every single time we hear a story like this where technology that we you know use for fun to a certain extent starts to become really useful and then not only useful, but it becomes life-changing for someone like Serena. So uh, once again, it's called the OrCam My Eye. And if you want any more information on it, just email either brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. We have stuff to give away. We're going to do that after traffic and weather. Next, we have stuff to give away Two tickets to WSO, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, Arrival from Sweden, the music of ABBA. I just, every time we play these, we've been playing these songs this week, I just, Greg's grooving, I'm tapping my feet. I can't Jeff's help it, not, man. Yeah. <laughs> we should all go together. Go to the show together. It'll be a... Mackling McGarry and Forche party session. Oh, let's do it. Okay. It'll be a grand old time. It's happening September 22nd to the... It's always smiling. September 22nd to the 24th Centennial Concert Hall. Today's question, what is the significance of the word arrival in Arrival from Sweden? Should be an easy one if you're a fan. Call now at 204-780-6868. Why do they choose arrival? What does it mean? 780-6868. Call us, not text. God, we need you to call. I stopped tapping my toes after that because I don't know the answer to oh, the really? question. Okay. Now I feel guilty. <laughs> I feel bad for knowing and loving their music but not knowing the answer to that question. Well, it'll go to a, then it should hopefully go to a fan because that's always, that's always sort of my goal is to try to find it, things that fans, the real fans will know before someone else has the opportunity to Google it. I concur, <laughs> Brett McGarry. Well so, done, my friend. Well done. So, next half hour, after sports and global news, we're going to talk about video games at the Olympics. Give me a break. It sounds like something silly, but hold the phone. It is in discussions because esports is something that is 
growing by leaps and bounds. We've had the conversations on this program several times, and uh, there's a, now a, a pay-per-view channel or a, 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 a what is it like a pick-and-pay channel that you can get that you can watch other people play video games and they have these championships and they go to the movie theaters. And I mean, it is a big deal. Madison Square Garden, for crying out loud, where they have these e-game championships, uh, in particular the sporting games. So, uh, yeah, we'll tell you a little bit about that. And I wanted to let you know, uh, since we're coming up to sports here, the new uh, Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown just went up online about 40 minutes ago. Thanks to everyone who's listening and subscribing to that. And, uh, yeah, this one's a little bit longer than usual. It's the biggest game of the year. So, you know, we had to make it long. It's like an hour long this week. All right. The Blue Bomber podcast now available on iTunes and Google Play and CJOB.com. We will check your forecast in two minutes. If I say the phrase uh, money grubbing, does the (laughs) IOC come to mind? (laughs) That's one organization, sure. Money grubbing, multi-billion dollar entity that it is. Yeah, the IOC. Here's the headline. It comes from an online uh, magazine, as most of them are now, avclub.com. And the headline is the Olympics might add video games, just not the violent ones. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is some guy who's into video games and he's kind of hopeful. Nope. Go to NBCSports.com. Paris open to esports on 2024 Olympic program. The co-president of the Paris Olympic Bid Committee told the Associated Press that he will hold talks with esports representatives and the IOC about the possibility of gaming joining the 2024 program. When I first saw the headline, I thought, wow, are you kidding me? But esports cannot be denied as a major force on this planet. They fill arenas, they fill stadiums. You've got these quote-unquote professional, you know what, I don't even need to say quote-unquote, these are professional esports athletes, and they make... Lots and lots of money. Some of them have to retire by the time they're in their mid-20s because they're already over the hill as far as being able to compete. Hand-eye coordination, carpal tunnel syndrome, those are probably the the, the big things that are key, right? Yeah, you especially probably slow the, down a little bit. Especially the hand-eye coordination. Although I can still... I can still beat Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's punch-out. Good for you. It's tough, but I can do it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, who's, who's the first guy you fight? Uh, it's Glass Joe. Okay. And then it's Von Kaiser. Va- yes. And then it's, uh, oh, it's a, uh, it's a guy from Japan. Yeah, see, I don't think I ever got that far. Really? Yeah. How many levels is there? Oh, there's, <laughs> hang on a second. There's... Is there, are there, how many levels are there for Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Do you know, Fort J? Did it's you like ever play 12. that game? I know. I'm it, not a gamer. I have no idea. No, yeah. We, you know, we use our hands for other things. We're drummers, right? That's right. That's right, baby. <laughs> It's like 12 or 13 guys. That's kind of cool. Lauren yeah. Robb, who's uh, setting up things here. Julie Buckingham and Richard Kluche are going to have a, an extravaganza here. Facebook Live multi-camera event here. Lauren's in the studio setting things up. Were you a video game guy, Lauren? Just nod yes or no. Mike Tyson's punch out? Yeah, okay. How many levels? I can finish it. You can finish it? It's like... Th- there's a code? 007-373-5963. He knows all the way down Mike Tyson. Oh, you are a geek. I knew it. Good for you. That's the code. And it's Piston Hondo. 
that's the that's the third character. Oh yeah, I know my brothers used to get all the way higher there, and they used to make fun of me, right? Because I could never get anywhere. The video games were not my thing. It's just I was a pinball guy, and my eyes and my hands too slow together. Anyway, the idea of this coming to the Olympic Games, do you think this is cool? Like, a, do you think it's going to happen? And b, is it about time that it happens? Do I think I go and it's, it's going to happen? I hmm, that's a tough one. The fact that they're they're actually willing to consider it surprises me. But does it belong? You know what? Why not? Because this is a significant portion of the population who are invested in this, and if it can fill an arena, and people are going to watch them do their thing. I mean, it's still a competition. They're yes, they're not actually on. They're not the athletes themselves. But they're still playing a game, and they're they're impressing an audience. They're captivating an audience. So why not? Did you get the text message? Piston Honda. Piston Honda. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That that, that text I I, I I read on Wikipedia it said Piston Hondo, but Piston Honda sounds right. Yeah, is it, hey, Hondo? Lauren, Lauren's That's giving Honda. a thumbs up to Honda. Piston Honda. Yeah, thanks. you don't have to whisper, Lauren. It's okay. We're 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 inviting you into Maybe the discussion. Well, there there are a number of if you type in Piston Hondo. Maybe they changed his name. Originally known as Piston Honda. So maybe I just got one of the earliest games where they, um, they had to change it. Probably because, because of... Honda said, hey, hold on. Don't give us free advertising. Why are you doing that? <laughs> That's pro- Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Piston Honda for uh, for those who had a, who were playing it when it was first a thing. That's kind of neat. And now it's Piston Honda. Okay. Well, right. send us an email or text message. Uh, what do you think of this eSports in the Olympics? And uh, which which sports would they do? I think it's kind of cool. We were talking about that roasting. Yep. And the hashtag, hashtag roast me. I love this. Positive people are welcome on our program anytime via text, email, or on the telephone. Instead of roasting, we need a hashtag toast me challenge. Have people leave positive comments for their friends. We can all use more positivity in our lives. I think that's a great that's a great idea. I'm writing that down. Of course you might get and maybe No, you will. You, no, you'll no, get the people, you might you will get the people say, "Oh, what are you doing looking for fishing for compliments?" Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, I think that's a great it's a great counter to this roast me thing, this roasting stuff that is uh, becoming a problem for cyber bullies. So watch out for that. Just one final quick thought in the esports. The one yeah. thing about it mm-hmm. is Sorry, they, I didn't mean to... Uh, no, 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 no. It's typical a good, conversation for us, right? Well, the, the train of thought makes multiple stops, and that's okay. Sometimes we got, we go back. Uh, and I'm glad you read this because I saw this too, and then I promptly forgot about it. Probably because I played too many video games when I was younger. <laughs> ADHD. But they would definitely have to... The Olympics said we won't want to do any violent games, and that is what most of the games that they do in these esports are violent games like Counter-Strike. I've never played Overwatch, so I don't know. I've seen that, but that didn't look all that bad. Street Fighter Five. I mean, yeah, it's it's cartoony violence. I don't know. And uh, the League of Legends as well as... Uh, is it Dota 2? Am I saying that right, Lauren? Oh, he, he's, he doesn't play new video games. Gonna say Dota 2. But as far as there could be, they, maybe they could play sports games like the FIFA soccer games or the 2K NBA Basketball games, I don't know. Do you see the text message about what's next? Ballroom ba- dancing in the Olympics? That's They've been talking about that for a decade. It is happening. The, the, the International, International Olympic Committee, in fact, was because of the IOC that ballroom dancing is now known as dance sport. Anyone 
who has done it knows it's a sport because it's hard, says James Frazier, the International Dance Sport Federation Presidium member. So there you go. Ballroom dancing is uh, has been a part of the Olympics, I think, in the past as an exhibition sport. And uh, dance sport, uh, probably going to be a full-fledged medal sport uh, in an Olympics uh, coming up uh, anytime soon. Here. Yeah, I mean, you watch them perform on Dancing with the Stars. The, the professionals are just as fit as anyone on the planet. And uh, watching them do what they do, it's it's quite extraordinary as an athletic endeavor, so I have no problem with that being in the Olympics. And another thing that I would like to see in the Olympics is dragon boating. I know that there's all kinds of paddling sports and rowing sports, but dragon boat, I think, is something that they should add as well. Because a, a, a proper, a well-oiled dragon boating team can pull a water skier. That's incredible. So... Yeah, yeah. I know you used to do that, so I'm I'm totally taking your word for that. Yeah, I that wasn't my team. <laughs> it wasn't my team, but a poorly good team. oiled machine. Yeah, Maria? Uh, we were well, we were fueled by other things, uh, uh, mostly beer. Yes, other lubrication type liquids. Yeah. Yes. Go team Ramrod. Traffic as well as weather, and then we'll hear from Richard and Julie to tee up the news. Next, just before we bring on Richard Cloutier here, congratulations to Rene Bernier, who correctly answered today's question regarding the WSO arrival from Sweden, the music of ABBA, happening at the concert hall September 22nd to September 24th. What is the significance of the word arrival and arrival from Sweden? The answer, it's the name of ABBA's fourth studio album, Greg, and it was released in 76, but it's also the name of one of the songs on the album... Which is all just synthesizers? It's just it's one of two instrumental songs that ABBA ever did. So, wow. wow! Yeah, I did not neat. know that. That's kind of neat. You come here to get educated, man. Mackling and McGarry, where uh, listeners become winners and radio show hosts get educated. And it, now it's kind of like this nice soothing music for Richard to tee up the news. Richard, you and I are of a similar generation, and you and I have both seen. Lots of development proposals over the years that have these splashy images. And this is what's coming to Portage and Maine. I'm thinking of the Trizec uh, development back in the late 70s. Two towers and, and, and this, that, and the other thing. We've seen lots of proposals for massive developments over the years. And it, it appears as though True North Square is going to... Well, be, what it their, pro- be what it promised to be from the outset. Yeah, they've put their money where their mouth is. And uh, not only is it the Chipmans, but the Richardsons have come into that development as well. And you've got outside money coming into Winnipeg. And one of the stories I think about downtown is that you have some local people that are reinvesting into their community, but they also have outside money coming into our downtown area. Uh, others look at this as a solid investment. And I think uh, sometimes we're cynical about our own selves and about our downtown, but further proof this afternoon that uh, the Sutton Place Hotel, uh, more details on that in True North Square, and we'll uh, talk about it after the 4.30 news and some of the technology that's uh, going up here in the studio is going to support uh, a new Facebook Live uh, technology that we have. It's multi-camera, so we're trying this out with our two guests after 4.30 this afternoon. Of course, you know, the evacuations in the Winnipeg Convention Centre is being turned into a makeshift home for almost a 1,000 people from up north. And, uh, you know, for a couple of days it might be okay, but uh, as things settle in, you know, you wonder about the images that we're seeing out of Houston 
certainly there's a difference between flood and fire, but these folks who are hoping to get their kids into school next week, well, home is the Winnipeg Convention Centre. So more on that story coming up. And of course, we've got team coverage as uh, Houston continues, more rescues going on as we speak. Yeah, I was thinking about that today, the whole idea that this is school uh, starting next week here in Manitoba and in the United States. Typically, school gets underway in the south, uh, you know, early, mid-August. So uh, these uh, tens of thousands of young people are having their school year interrupted right off the bat. Yes, certainly in Houston. And uh, the fear is with the evacuees here, some of those uh, kids are going to have their school uh, interrupted in, in northern Manitoba. Richard Cloutier, thank you very much, sir. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham have the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. And then Charles Adler tonight from 9 until midnight. And that's all the time we have on Mackling and McGarry. And once again, don't forget to tune in for the, the fancy Facebook Live. Yeah, 435. Jeff Forche, thanks for uh, your smiling help as always. And uh, I believe business is next. Yes, that's right. And I will also say hello to Lauren Robb, our web guy, our multimedia guy. He's setting up all the fancy camera stuff. That's uh, I didn't even know this technology existed. So that's that's it's really neat. I like it. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg. Thanks for listening to 680 CJOB.